Good evening, St. Augustine, and welcome to the Mike Davis Show without Mike Davis. He's still on vacation in parts unknown, and we have a producer takeover for today, and we'll get into it just a little bit. It's been a journey. It's been a journey to get here today and to get this show put together today, but before we go down that journey together, we're going to pay some bills. So, I've got Powell Heating and Air Conditioning. They have been dedicated to customer service for the 36 years that they have been a locally owned, family-run business. That customer service has been evident in everything that they do from the moment they answer your call until the time they leave your home. They are working to make you comfortable and confident about the care and service you receive from Powell. With their fleet of 10-plus trucks, 15,000 square foot warehouse stocked with parts and equipment. They are ready to serve you around the clock. They service all heating and air conditioning brands and their emergency service is always open seven days a week, 24 hours a day, including nights and weekends. So give them a call, Powell Heating and Air Conditioning for all of those AC needs. And it is getting hot out there. I don't know if you've noticed, but you might want to call Powell Heating and Air Conditioning right now before for your AC unit is needed to run at max capacity. Have them come, do a maintenance, make sure everything's good so that you stay cool and comfortable all summer long. Call our friends at Powell Heating and Air Conditioning. We also have our friends at Solar Stick. They were established in 2006. Solar Stick is a local portable power company proudly committed to American manufacturing, constant innovation, and creating jobs right here in St. Augustine, Florida. Solar Stick's focus on providing solutions for self-sufficiency helps users all over the world complete missions and save lives. Solar Stick, changing lives, saving lives, and reviving American manufacturing. Thank you, Solar Stick, for your continued support. We love you guys, and we hope to see Miss Stephanie Hollis here soon, Dr. Stephanie Hollis. We also have A. Bear Kresge and Associates. They are a full-service local CPA firm with a team of skilled professionals dedicated to providing top-level service in the areas of tax compliance and planning for businesses, individuals, estates, and trusts. Audits, reviews, and other accounting services, business valuations, forensic analysis, and litigation support. You can reach A. Bear Kresge and Associates at 904 904- Four six zero zero seven four seven, or you can find them online at abearkreskycpa.com. So check out Abearkreski Associates for all of those tax compliance, business financing needs. Talk to them before you talk to the IRS. That's always helpful. We also have Solomon Services. They're the ones that were getting Mike Davis in shape for his vacation. Solomon Services, the premier place for personal training in St. Augustine. They specialize in small group strength and fitness development, athletic development for team and individual sports performance, sports injury-related training. They have a state-of-the-art center with indoor and outdoor turf areas, all coaches, are certified through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Call to make an appointment with Solomon Services today. That's 904-461-9945 or visit their website, solomonservices.com to sign up today. They are going to be providing those summer classes that they do to help kids stay in shape and prepare for their next sports season. So definitely check out Solomon Services and get up with them so you can get up faster and stay up longer with your physical health and strength. Solomon the, uh, Services. They're out by the rock museum, right? Or the rock climbing thing. 
I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I, think I saw him the other day. Mike's there almost every day. We should definitely clarify with him the location. I don't have an address there. I just have their website and their phone number. So maybe pull that and let's see where that is. Oh. I, I need to, to call them. I think it's time for me to start training, and I definitely think that Sal at Sol- Solomon Services is the guy that needs to help me with that. I've got specialized training needs in my old age with my arthritis. The rightus is hitting bad. You've already heard his voice. We have Clay Blasser in the house. He it is. is I fact-checked. Today. What? Oh, it is next to the stone climbing place. It is? Yeah. Show everybody. Say hi to everybody, Clay. Hello. <laughs> hey. That was that was a lot. <laughs> you show everybody. He's in here like a Carmen San Diego character, guys. Like I have to fix my hair. I'm trying maybe to make sure I'm below makeup. the subtitles. What? I'm, tr- I'm trying to make sure I'm behind the subtitles. <laughs> He's doing very busy and important producery stuff. So I got to give you a little, take you on a journey today. All right, it's time travel Tuesday. You might ask yourself, why is it Time Travel Tuesday, and do I have a guest to go with us on this journey? And I don't. Booking guests is really, really hard, you guys. And I called so many people, and I had so many maybes about coming in today that by the time that all of my maybes came back that they weren't going to be able to join me today, I needed a plan. It was too late to make any more calls. So I went down a rabbit hole. And I had been focusing on May 16th as the day I needed to book a guest for so, so long. So I kind of went down a rabbit hole on things that happened on May 16th. So I've got a little bit of a time travel journey there. Also, I've got um, kind of an interesting take on laws around the world that may or may not make sense. And we started looking at birthdays who was born on this day and there's some good ones and there's some bad ones but before we get to all of that i've got a question for you guys i was talking with my mom today and we're trying to think of movies that we could introduce my kids to so that they would have like a shared pop culture experience as their grandparents as their parents so what movies do you think are culturally significant they're essential viewing for a good childhood put them in the comments i want to hear what you guys think are necessary for kids clay do you have any necessary viewing for kids uh for kids and young adults maybe gotta think about it so i think that princess bride and labyrinth are essential viewing for me They're fun fantasy movies from like the 80s, and they definitely are kind of a time capsule into an aesthetic. And so, you know, that's one that I was really, or two that I was really excited to show my kids. But we were looking at like a Reader's Digest list, and they've watched like, there's a Reader's Digest list of 76 essential movies for your childhood. And there was Sandlot and Goonies. Sandlot's and, a good one for sure. Yeah, Sandlot's definitely a good one. They, I don't think they've seen Sandlot yet. We just showed them Goonies. Sandlot has some, some references to Playboy that are a little more obvious than like the uh, Home Alone, looking through Buzz's room, sees a magazine, looks at it, ick, throws it to the side. So I'm not sure about Sandlot yet for all of my kids. Um, but I started to show Isabella some some movies that I loved when I was kind of a preteen, early teens, and that's been fun. We just watched Armageddon, 
I've got oh, ET in the comments. Back to the Future was on the the Reader's Digest list. Are we sparking anything for you? Candyman? No way, Robin. <laughs> We're not watching Candyman. Although, I think I was in elementary school when some of my friends had seen it and were horrified and were telling me stories about it and like they wanted to do some of the chants or something to see like go into a dark bathroom at PE and see if we could conjure the Candyman. And I was like, I'm out, yo. I'm not doing that. Did you ever do the Bloody Mary or anything like that? Uh, Bloody Mary never saw Candyman. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Candyman, I, I've never seen it because I was just traumatized by my friends telling me about it. I'm not a horror movie kind of gal. That's just not me. Um, so, we've got to choose your own adventure. So, while you guys are thinking about movies, I'll have Clay pick our first segment. So, I've got On This Day with a Bouye. I've got Is It Legal? And I also have They Say It's Your Birthday. And I won't sing it. So, I'll spare you all. Where do you want to go, Clay? That's a tough one. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm thinking we start with the birthdays. The birthdays. The All right. Because there's, there's some bad ones. So. There's subcategories to the birthdays. So depending on what you choose, we might go dark early. All right. So they say it's a birthday. Do you want to go notable or do you want to go notorious? Ooh, notable or notorious? Mm-hmm. Let's start with Notable. Start with Notable. All right. So I picked this one just for you. I saw this one, and this was honestly part of the reason why I made this segment. So in honor of Clay, we are going to talk about David Edward Hughes. David Edward Hughes was a British-American inventor. He was either born in London, England, or Corwin, Wales. I guess they both claim him. He was born on this day in 1831, and he is the inventor of the microphone, Clay. Oh, sweet. So not, he makes your life happen, and he makes a 904 happen. Nice. Yeah. I, could, I wouldn't have a job without him, honestly. <laughs> right? So pour one out for David Edward Hughes. If he made him any simpler, you know, and people could actually use him properly, then I would definitely wouldn't have a job. Are you being judgy on his birthday? <laughs> no, I'm glad he made him a little complicated or else yeah. I wouldn't be able so to you fix have a job. him. <laughs> All right. So David Edward Hughes is our first. The next, I think some of our women viewers are going to... Um, are going to like some of our guys here. We've got Henry Fonda. Do you even know who Henry Fonda is, Clay? No. He was born in 1905. He's an American actor. He was born in Nebraska. Um, I only remember seeing him in On Golden Pond, but he was in Mr. Roberts and 12 Angry Men, which I've been told I had to watch 12 Angry Men. But So Henry Fonda was born in, on this day in 1905. He passed away in 1982, so he had decently long isn't, life. Isn't there like a Jamie Fonda or something? Yeah, so there's like a whole Fonda, Fonda. tradition in Hollywood. So Henry Fonda is um, Jane Fonda's father, I Jane believe. Fonda. Yep, Melissa's got me. Jane Fonda's dad. So um, that who is who Henry Fonda is. Jane Fonda, not my favorite, I'll be honest. I just know the name. Yeah, controversy with Jane Fonda. Uh, we also have Liberace, was born on this day in 1919. Liberace was an American Emmy Award-winning pianist. 
which is just fun to say. He was also a showman. He had the Liberace show. And I didn't realize this, and neither did my mom when I was talking to her about it. He was an actor, and he was on the original Batman series. Tell me in the comments if you remember seeing Liberace on Batman. Because I watched those on Nick at Night as a child in reruns. But oh, yeah, I, that was a classic. I, didn't, I don't remember Liberace. And maybe it's just because I didn't know who he was then, like I do now. All I remember is the, the plastic shark that came up <laughs> was on the helicopter. The jumping the shark scene. <laughs> oh, so bad. That's why a show that has gone past its prime is called Jumping the Shark. Because, oh. no, that was that was Happy Days when the Fonz jumped the shark while he was surfing. No, like it, it came Batman up and him, him right? on a helicopter. Yeah, so Batman's hanging on a helicopter and the shark jumps up and bites him, right? Yeah, and it's obviously like a plastic shark just like <laughs> swinging on a, like a miniature prop. It's classic, man. And it had like kapow. Kapow. Yeah, I loved all that. The kapow. Yeah, the black and white Batman. Was that, was, did that predate Adam West? I don't know. How many Batman shows are there? I don't know. That was like back when you had to get it from Blockbuster. So I watched it on Nick at Night. But I'm older than you, so it might have been off Nick at Night by that point, and you were you were having to rent the video, the VHS. Yeah. All right, you're going to know this one, Clay. I know you're going to know this one. Born in 1944, Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo is oh, yeah, from Sons of Anarchy, Breaking Bad, Con Air. He's like, he's got like it, a ponytail. Yeah, like a he's scar. scarred up face. He's served time. If you need a tall, scary bad guy guy. Then you go to Danny Trejo, and it's his birthday today. So we wish you all the joy today, Danny Trejo. Please don't come at me. <laughs> I heard he's like a really nice guy, though. I'm sure he is. He's done. So when I was looking at his filmography, he's done a lot of like family friendly stuff. So I think he has a certain sense of humor with the fact that he's kind of got Terrible. this reputation for being a scary bad guy like guy. So I don't know. So um, it's also a very famous former James Bond's birthday, Pierce Brosnan. Happy 70th birthday to the Irish actor, born in 1953. Janet Jackson is 57. There's a lot of birthdays today, guys. But wow. 1969, the 54-year-olds, they went out. That I found the most 1969, May 16th birthdays. David Boreanaz, did you ever watch Angel and Bones? Yeah, I think so. So yeah, okay, that guy, yeah, Angel. Angel he was the spinoff vampire from the Buffy series. So he was Buffy's vampire boyfriend in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series, and then he had his own spinoff called Angel, where he continued I playing saw Angel, the vampire. But I never knew it was related to that show. That's him. Yeah, it was a spinoff from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then he was in Bones, and I really enjoyed Bones for a while. Um, so he was born in Buffalo, New York in 1969 today. Happy birthday to you, Tracy Gold of Growing Pains fame. She was born in New York City today, so it is her 54th birthday. But arguably, probably the most talked about person on our list today is celebrating his 54th birthday in forced retirement, <laughs> Tucker Carlson, born in San Francisco, California. I really saw him as like a Connecticut baby. Not like a San Fran Cali baby, but Tucker Carlson, happy birthday. Interesting. So the last of our notable figures who are celebrating their birthday today is Megan Fox at 37. She's just older than you, and I hear she's single now, Clay. 
Oh, really? Well, <laughs> you know, from what I hear. Yeah, you're not into the Transformer, babe? There's, she's kind of weird now. She's? Isn't she? Is she like, she's what? on her own her journey. Machine Gun Kelly, you know. Yeah, she's on her own journey. So I don't know if she's like the conventional kind of girl you're looking for. Mm. Not that you're single. But Megan Fox's birthday is today. Happy 37th birthday, Megan Fox. And that leads us into Notorious. Now we're going to get dark. Do you have the... I feel like we need the horoscopes music. Mm, so our Notorious Later. birthday is... I'll give you his... Um, Birth name first, and we'll lead into his alias, because some of you might know his alias. Herman Webster Mudgett. Herman Webster Mudgett was born today in 1861. I do not wish him a (laughs) happy birthday. I hope that he receives a very painful birthday gift from Satan, because he's a horrible human being. He was born in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, And he is quite possibly America's first serial killer. He's famously, more famously known by his alias H.H. Holmes. He was a con artist. He was a bigamist. And like I said, he is a serial killer that may have killed anywhere from 20 to 200 people. Um, He was in Chicago during the World's Fair. The World's Fair in Chicago in the late 1800s was, I believe, the first World's Fair to ever have everything illuminated with electricity. And so it was a super big deal. And so everything is wired for power. And there's a lot of nervousness about it because this is the first major undertaking for electricity. There's a ton of excitement about it. And so this H.H. Holmes guy, he kind of uses the excitement and the big draw of the World's Fair. Um, He had taken over a pharmacy business. Um, He had conned his way in. So he had gone to medical school uh, during his time at medical school. It is believed that he stole bodies from the cadaver lab that they were using for anatomy lessons and filed false insurance claims. So he would steal a body. He would take out an insurance package on that person. And then he would take them somewhere and have them diagnosed as dead so that he could get the insurance payout. Um, Super nice guy, guys. Um, So he did that and he used that expertise that he learned in medical school, though I don't believe he graduated. He used that to con his way in as a pharmacist. And so he uh, conned a guy into believing that he was a pharmacist and he got hired there. And the owner of that business ended up disappearing, same as his wife. And oddly enough, they left the business to H.H. Holmes. So H.H. Holmes takes over that pharmaceutical business, and it's thriving, and that gives him enough money to build his own building. So what he ends up doing is he hires all kinds of different contractors, and he own, he has them specialize in particular areas, so no one knows what the other one's doing, and nobody knows enough to ask too many questions. And so he builds what would later be called the Murder Castle. It was a multi-story building. It had an incinerator in the basement, 
It had all sorts of secret passageways and hidey holes and peepholes, as well as specialized reinforced garbage chutes. And they believe that's how he transferred his victims from whatever floor they were on into the basement so he could process them. It, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot, guys. So he was America's first serial killer, and he was born today. He was apprehended in 1894, and he was hanged for his crimes almost two years later. He was kind of the classic, raised in a lovely household, no obvious signs of anything going wrong, except he liked to practice surgeries on neighborhood animals, and it all escalated from there. So if... Um, his story is chronicled in a book called The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. So Eric Larson is, if you like history and you're not afraid of delving into some dark subject matter, Eric Larson is a pro- prolific history writer, and I really enjoy his books. I've read uh, two. I'm working on a third. And it's a very novelistic approach to writing about history. And so The Devil in the White City chronicles the excitement and everything that was going on with the World's Fair in Chicago, but it also parallels that with H.H. Holmes and his rise of power. He ended up, like, marrying a woman and having children with her and, like, setting her up in a nice little suburb, and then in his murder castle he had another set of fiancés. Is there any relation to Holmes Road? I don't think so here, but there are surviving there are surviving relatives. I believe his grandson or great grandson has been interviewed recently. Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese, I believe, produced uh, a series on H. H. Holmes in the not too distant past. Uh, so that's something you can look out for if you're interested, or you can check out Eric Larson's book, Devil in the White City. It is very compelling. It is very dark. He does go into detail on his bad acts and how he exploited the World's Fair to trick... Wrote the book about himself. Eric Larson wrote a book about H.H. Holmes. Uh. H.H. Holmes did write an autobiography when he was in jail. He was captured, and then it took two years before he was executed. So there is a book out there that he authored about his life. Um, which Eric Larson uses, obviously, in his retelling of the account. Um, but Eric Larson has written, like I said, I've read two of his books. The other one I have here, I read The Devil in the White City on ebook. But In the Garden of the Beasts chronicles um, the post World War One, pre World War Two German political uprisings. And also the American diplomats that were stationed in Berlin in the mid to late 30s and their interaction with the um, political factions of Germany. Uh, Facebook doesn't like certain words being said, so I'm kind of glancing over. It's Um. called In the Garden of the Beasts because where the diplomats' house was, was at one point in German's Germany's history, it was like a private menagerie of the royalty, and at the point that they're at in the 1930s, it was a public park that was named the Garden of the Beasts. And so that's why it was called that. It just so happens that the uh, people that are chronicled in that book are 
also somewhat beastly. So um, that's an interesting book also. It's, it doesn't always show that America, or it shows that America was not always um, on the right side of the issue. And it might have taken us a while to come to grips with what was actually happening in Germany. And so it's a bit of a frustrating read. It's very interesting also. So if you like a novelistic approach, so it feels like you're reading a novel, but it's actually sourced real history taken from from original documents, letters, journals, um, records, then definitely check out Eric Larson. He's a very interesting author and his books are very compelling. I mean, it's hard subject matter <laughs> for a lot of them. I'm reading Deadwake, and um, my favorite building in New York City is the Flatiron Building. Do you know what that is, Clay? That's like the famous triangular building that you see in New York City. It's not one of the taller ones, um, but it's shaped kind of like an old school iron that you would heat on a fire to, um, to then flatten out the wrinkles on your clothes. So the Flatiron Building, uh, the architect of the Flatiron Building is one of the featured... Uh, people in Deadwake, and so it also circles around the the sinking of the Lusitania. So uh-huh. that's the one I'm working on right now, but it's slow going with all the homeschool required reading. All right, so that is so you say wait, it's your wait, birthday. Where did you say the World Fair was that that guy did that? The Chicago World's Fair. Oh, see. so the World's Fair, kind of like the Olympics, kind of bids out and it travels around the world and it goes from one host city to another to another. Um, the World's Fair would bid out large cities, and so Chicago won it um, that year, and it was a multi-year process of establishing the, uh, I believe it was called the Columbian Exposition. It was on the anniversary of Columbus's journey, and so it was like a big, super big deal, even bigger than most, but the Eiffel Tower was built as one of the exhibitions at a World's Fair. When Paris hosted the World's Fair, that's why we have the Eiffel Tower. And they actually talk about the um, architect that designed the Eiffel Tower in The Devil in the White City as well. I, um, went, to, uh, I went to an old World's Fair at um, when I was in Europe. Like uh, I think it was in cool. Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, but they had this huge... Uh, old, it was like an old World's Fair, but they turned it into like a park you could go visit. It was cool. Oh, yeah. Because they would set up like big big exhibits sometimes and it's where people around the world would come and showcase their inventions or their art or their creations and so it was a really exciting thing to see we were talking about movies earlier meet me in st louis is an older movie it's a judy garland movie um some of the songs we sing and some of the things we say come from that movie and people don't even realize that they're quoting that movie today um but that that circles around the world's fair um st louis won the world's fair and there was so much excitement about the world's fair and so that is a big topic of discussion in meet me in st louis so that was a big deal back in the day it kind of faded out of prominence um but it was like a really big deal and people would travel all around to visit the world's fair and that in and of itself is a fun little history rabbit hole to to fall down looking at all the different world's fairs and the different things that were exhibited at the world's fairs. And like yeah, I said, the Eiffel, t- yeah, the Eiffel tower was an exhibit at the world fair. Mm. That was, it wasn't supposed to stay forever. <laughs> it was supposed to just showcase 
modern um, metallurgy. And it was supposed to be a temporary exhibit for the World's Fair, but it was so popular that it stayed. Mm. So that's a lasting exhibit that stayed. Um, There's glass building in New York that I know is left over from the World's Fair. There's places all around that are cool little nuggets that if you know, you know, but they were left over from the World's Fair. Nice. Sorry, I derailed you. (laughs) Oh, no, it's fine. The one in Chicago was after the Paris one. That's why they talk about the Eiffel Tower. Because they're like, yes, we're going to have electricity, but we need something big. Eiffel Tower or Eiffel, the architect, had just unveiled this this major tower, and it was this huge achievement. And so they were trying to figure out and source some other kind of cool and amazing attraction. And so they ended up, um, they chronicle it in the book and how they're so nervous about it being this total disaster, but they end up... Um, a going with an architect that creates this massive Ferris wheel. So like the one in Orlando where you can take the big giant Ferris wheel and you can kind of see the city over the course of 30 minute ride or whatever. Um, that was kind of the first one at the Chicago world's fair. And it was to try and out Eiffel Eiffel. They said, and as a quote, uh, the people that were planning the Chicago world's fair. So fun little, one little rabbit hole to fall down. Those world fairs were pretty interesting, and you can still people collect stuff from them today. Because, as you can imagine, there was merchandising. <laughs> All right, so nice. that leads us to: Is it legal? Or on this day with a bouye, where you want to go? Mm, I I really wanted to pick the is it legal one first, but I th- think I'm gonna save that for last. All right, so. On this day with a bouye. So it's a different kind of birthdays, I guess you could say. Today is the birthday of the nickel. Did you know that? 1866, U.S. Congress authorized the nickel as a five-cent coin. So let's think about history. 1866, the Civil War is over. There is an absolutely out-of-nowhere scandal involving paper currency. People are aghast, right? Mm. A man named Spencer Clark, he was the head of the National Currency Bureau. He was tasked with finding a suitable portrait to adorn a brand new five-cent bill, right? Not a coin, a note, a bill. So there was going to be a five-cent bill in circulation post-Civil War. And so he's given the job as the head of the bureau to find various portraits, submit them for approval. Once they're approved, then they're supposed to go into printing and go into circulation. That sounds about right, right, Clay? Yeah. He does not do that. He decided now's his chance. He's got the power and he's got the opportunity and he puts his own dang face on the note. So there's a brand new five cent note with his face on it. And people are furious. (laughs) Who is this man, Spencer Clark, and who does he think he is to put his own face on the currency without any sort of congressional approval, without any sort of poll? Nobody even knows who this guy is, but now everyone knows what he looks like. So we are post-Civil War. Tensions are high. We're trying to figure out how to be a unified country again, and Congress kills the five cent bill they are canceled 
people are mad and they don't want people to be mad about this also. So they cancel the five cent bill. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Congress authorizes the five cent coin on this day. It is to be minted in nickel and copper. They chose nickel intentionally because it is a worthless metal. (laughs) I feel like it's worth more than five cents now. So probably now, because now we have different uses for, for nickel. But at the time, nickel was a worthless metal that had no intrinsic value outside of the value that the government put on it by making it into a coin. And so they had, like I said, they had just come out of the Civil War. During the Civil War, people had hoarded gold coins and silver coins. Because gold and silver, we hear all the time on Fox News, are never worth nothing, right? And so even though there's union currency and confederacy currency, and those bills are arguably worth nothing by the end of the Civil War, those gold and silver coins still had value. So people were holding on to them, and they were hoarding them, and they didn't want to recreate that scenario. So they intentionally make this brand new coin out of worthless metal. So that's why it's nickel and copper uh, when it first is created. Which is funny, again, because like you said, I mean, copper especially is very, it's worth a lot of money now. It has intrinsic value now, but at that time it didn't. So they decide no portraits for this new coin. We don't need an argument. Everyone's sensitive. We're going to move on with that. So they decorate it with a shield. Our slogan in God We Trust. They have a very large five pressed on one side of it, and they surround it with stars and rays. So these are universally acknowledge symbols that everyone can agree on so the healing process begins right um so no no spencer clark on the coin we've kicked that guy out i don't know if he lost his job i didn't google that i should have um so it works the nickel is hugely popular it is all the rage people love it this leads to congress getting together jogging their noggins and coming up with a dime and a quarter so the nickel predates the dime and the quarter Coca-Cola is on the horizon, though. It's a few years out before it's invented, but Coca-Cola was firmly on Team Nickel. And Coca-Cola bottles only cost a nickel for the first 73 years of their business. That's a steal. I I know you drink. It was stocked up. (laughs) I know, right? You drink Coca-Cola. I do, too. I haven't spent five cents. I'm about to spend dozens and dozens of dollars. To get Mike Davis one of his favorite kinds of Coca-Cola that's out of out of commission and only available on eBay. <laughs> oh, nice. So we have a upcoming Coca-Cola taste competition. Can you can you name the to- can you name the Coke taste challenge? This is trademark pending. But um, once I get all of the various kinds of Coke, maybe you should come in for that, Clay. Oh yeah. I think you're pretty good at connoisseur at Coca-Cola. Was this guy's five cent bill um, him with a beard? Yeah, he's got a beard. I, I got the picture of it. Yeah, Spencer Clark. <laughs> the scandal. Scandalous Spencer Clark. Looks like Troy with hair. <laughs> You'll have to mention that tomorrow on the morning show. <laughs> I'm going to leave that right there. Let's see. <laughs> we can print it out and leave it on his spot. <laughs> so we can move forward a little bit. 1868. We've got our new favorite coin, the nickel. But the U.S. Senate does not have enough votes to impeach President Johnson. On this day in 1868, the U.S. failed to impeach President Andrew Johnson. They failed by one vote. 
a single vote. He was the only president to have been impeached until Bill Clinton made a mess of some lady's blue dress and uh, that little indiscretion became public knowledge in 1998 and then Trump happened and I don't know that we need a refresher course on all of the Trump impeachment votes, but I did pluralize votes because there was more than one. So while Andrew Johnson was the first president to be impeached and the Senate failed to finish the job on this day in 1868, Trump is the only president to have been impeached twice, cementing his place in the history books. Can't forget the man. All right. Our morning viewers are going to know a little bit about this one. We're going to take a big leap into the 1920s now. And if you watch the morning show, I know you found out that today in 1929 was the first Academy Awards show. The very first one. It was held in the Hollywood Roosevelt Room. 270 people attended, but tickets only cost $5. I was curious. Hmm. So I wanted to know what $5 from 1929 would cost today and that five dollar ticket in today's money would be 88 dollars and 70 cents wow i mean i might attend a show if it was only that price once the winner for best picture was wings best picture was called outstanding picture at that time but wings it was the only silent film to have won best picture until 2011 2011. 2011. 2011. Best picture was The Artist. Oh, yeah, I remember. And The Artist was a silent film. Another thing that was a little bit unique was that um, Best Actor and Best Actress, they won it for more than one role. So today it's usually like so and so from this movie in particular, and they're being honored for that one role. Emil Jannings won Best Actor for two roles that year, while Janet Gaynor won Best Actress for three roles. There were only 12 categories in that first Academy Awards ceremony, and they decided that was just too many. They merged a couple, discontinued a couple. They got it down to seven, and it stayed at lucky number seven for a very long time. Today, it's 24 annual categories. Those happen every single year, and then a plethora of lesser-known awards from Technical sciences to honorary and memorial awards. Those are not necessarily annual. And I don't know, they always have like a words that were given on a different day sort of segment and they kind of scroll by and they list them all. So there are many, many more than seven. Uh, if they want to increase viewership, Clay, I think they should maybe go back to that original 12. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. That might help Definitely. a little bit. So, music news. I think you might know some of these. I know Barbara Jean's going to be excited about some of our later music news. Music news takes us to 1947. Billie Holiday is arrested in a New York City apartment for possession of narcotics. I could not find what narcotics she was accused of being in possession of. She later was accused in another arrest of having heroin in a hospital room. So who knows? Who knows what substances she had with her this time? But she did plead guilty to that um, charge that she was arrested for on this day in 1947. 
at the trial, she learned her lawyer wasn't going to show up, which seems like a call you make before the defendant is sitting at the defendant's table in front of a judge. Uh, Billy Holiday said the case was called the United States versus Billy Holiday, and that's how it felt. She was sentenced to Alderson Federal Prison Camp in West Virginia. Seems a little weird to me. She was arrested in New York City, but she was incarcerated in West Virginia. The prison camp was also known as Camp Cupcake. I don't know if that's cupcake meaning it was an easier place to go or if they were using it ironically. So to if you know about Camp Cupcake or if you know why she might have been sentenced to be incarcerated in a different state than where she was charged and arrested, then let me know in the comments. Uh, This drug conviction lost her her New York City cabaret card, which ended her ability to perform anywhere that served alcohol. Prudish, New York City. So she was forced to perform in concert halls and theaters from there on out in her career. She could not perform in restaurants or bars anymore. No alcohol facilities for her. Uh, She was gorgeous and very troubled. She tragically died at the age of 44. uh, Complications with cirrhosis of the liver. But I thought it'd be fun to find out everyone's favorite Billie Holiday song. Do you have a favorite Billie Holiday song, Clay? Oh, sorry. I'm I'm, uh, looking up. In the uh, comments? No, I'm looking her up and stuff. Like the prison camp and stuff. Trying to see this thing. Clay's trying to answer my question from earlier. Billy Holiday songs. My favorite is I'll Be Seeing You. I love I'll Be Seeing You. And honestly, I needed to distract you so I could look at that up. <laughs> Rude. So I'll Be Seeing You is my favorite. If you have a favorite Billy Holiday song, put it in the comments. I want to make a playlist. I love Billy Holiday. All right. So we talked music news. Feeling a little hungry. We're getting close to dinner time. That takes us to 1965. May 16th, 1965, brings us the Campbell Soup Company introducing SpaghettiOs under the Franco-American brand. Happy 58th birthday, SpaghettiOs. I heard it's Andy Walton's birthday, too. Happy birthday, Andy Walton. And anyone else who's watching that happens to have a birthday today. Did you ever eat SpaghettiOs, Clay? I love SpaghettiOs. I still eat them. SpaghettiOs with meatballs. I like spaghetti goes with meatballs, too. Those are my favorite. It's the only ones to get. <laughs> I know, right? So there was another brand of, like, circular spaghetti. Evidently, this was a thing. Like, companies were marketing circular spaghetti as a cleaner, safer spaghetti to serve your kids. And so that's safer. why SpaghettiOs was a thing. Can you believe that? No, I mean, they're they're always fire, so. Yeah. So there was another brand that I liked and it got discontinued because like they didn't take my feedback, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't eating enough of the circle pasta. So I tried SpaghettiOs to fill the circle pasta void and they just weren't quite the same as that one that I liked. And I was with my friend and she was like, oh, it just needs a little paprika. And like I didn't cook. So it's like, sure. okay, let's add some paprika. And it was good enough. And so that was a favored lunch item for me. As a teenager. That got me through college, honestly. Right? It got me through college, too. <laughs> I, w- I probably ate SpaghettiOs from, like, 13 to probably 25 on the regular. Yeah. Like, every now and again, when my kids are, like, with grandparents and I'm home alone for dinner, then every- I'm not going to say I don't buy SpaghettiOs still and maybe ramen noodles on occasion. 
That's Rel- right. I got to stock up soon. <laughs> Relive my glory days in college. <laughs> Sad. How do you cook them? Do you microwave them? Or I microwave you- them. I don't. I don't need that pan. But yeah, I also it's just more dishes. It's more dishes. I spent most of my time eating them when I was in like dorm rooms. And, you know, eating them for snacks and not wanting to trash the kitchen and make my mom mad. So, yeah, I Pyrex bowl, plop them in there. I nuke them with a cover so it doesn't splatter all over the microwave. Of course, yes. And then uh, a nice healthy sprinkling of paprika. I got to try that. I don't I don't know that it adds anything to it, really. What if you put like a bay leaf in it and like do them up all like proper? I made ramen noodles with my husband when we were dating and I was living in an apartment and I would nuke ramen noodles also. And so when it was like we rented movies, we were just going to have a movie night and make whatever I had. And he looks at my kitchen and I lived like my kitchen was stocked like a 16 year old boy bought groceries. It was all like soda and pop tarts and spaghettios. And 16. I still do that. <laughs> so we have ramen noodles. So I'm making my ramen noodles the way I like it. Plop it in the pack. Yeah. Overfill on the water, but then you pour it out so it's underfilled. Then you add the spices after it's all cooked. So that's the way I like it, and that's the way I'm doing it. Meanwhile, he gets a pot out of the cabinet. (laughs) He puts it in the pot. And I had a tortoise at the time, so I had all kinds of leafy greens to feed the tortoise that I never ate. (laughs) And my mom had stocked my kitchen with spices. And so he used my spices and my tortoise food to doctor up his ramen noodles. Did you tell him? I was like, I I had no idea what he was doing. And I was just like, it's ramen noodles. (laughs) What are you doing? He was like, what? It's good. It's like, all right, you have it your way. I'll have it mine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's some Korean places that make really good ramen. Yeah. Ramen's like a big thing. And in certain cultures, it was just, it was a cheap pasta to me. And so do I have you a, get the, like the, Maru, is it Maruchan or do you get the, uh, I'm a top ramen girl, top ramen. Yeah, I'm okay. top ramen. I'm a chicken top ramen. I was, um, Campbell's had a really nice ramen when I was in high school, but Campbell's discontinued their ramen. Oh, it does and so good. top ramen was the closest thing I could find to it. I don't like the, I don't know what it is, the maruchan or whatever. The ones that are in like a bowl already. Yeah, I don't do the cup of noodles either. Cup like, of noodles, yeah. That's not, I don't do Easy Mac either. But I have, I do know how to make regular boxed mac and cheese in the microwave. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I learned how to exist on all of my super cheap foods only with a George Foreman grill in a microwave. Okay, um, mac and cheese. Do you, what kind of mac and cheese do you like? There's the regular noodles, the, uh-huh. the SpongeBob ones that are like characters. So there's my preference is craft spirals if I'm going to go craft. I just like the way that the spiral allows the cheese to cover the noodle. Uh, my kids don't like spirals though, so we don't buy spirals. And then I like Velveeta shells and cheese. I have to be in the mood for that though. Mm-hmm. Did I break your heart? No. What's your favorite? Are you a SpongeBob guy? I like yeah, I like the the character the noodles. Ones that are like shaped like characters so I feel like they absorb the cheese more. Mhm. Well, um, that's my argument for the spiral. Craft. I just find that it's less consistent cook time on I the character tried one. The spiral. I need to do it. You got to try the spiral because the the character ones are inconsistent with cook time. 
It, I mean, SpongeBob's not going to cook the same as like your Star Wars noodle. Right. <laughs> See, I, I somebody like, in the comments is with the spirals. I like the noodles a little al dente. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but it sounds cool. It means slightly undercooked. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's not fully cooked. You don't want it to like mash around and become a paste while you're mixing it. So it has a little bit of body. I'm going to skip the next one because the next one's dark. We don't need to talk about the Cultural Revolution in China. Um, but Mao Zedong did bad stuff, and that started on May 16th in 1966. Decade of Blood. We'll skip that one. It's dark. All right, so we're going to stay in the USA then, since we're skipping that one. 1971. On this day, in 1971, Congress raised postage from six cents to eight cents. And again, I adjusted for inflation because I wanted to know. A stamp today is 63 cents. So if we adjust that eight cents for inflation, then it becomes 60 cents. It's not too far off. It's pretty close track to inflation, but we're still getting hosed three cents a stamp. Like, yeah, where's that? That's extra, like super I mean, inflation or something. Yeah, right. Still bumps it up a little bit too much. All right, Barbara it's Jean added a tax to it, I guess. Barbara Jean, where are you? This one's for you. Nineteen eighty-four, May sixteenth. The single "When Doves Cry" is released by Prince Rogers Nelson, better known as Prince. When Doves Cry was featured on the album Purple Rain, which was a huge hint, hit, and cemented Prince as one of the major stars of the 1980s. It was his biggest selling album in his career. But it was also not just a regular music album. Clay, would you believe that Purple Rain was actually a soundtrack? No, I never knew that. Yep. It was a soundtrack for a movie also called Purple Rain. And it won an Oscar for Best Original Score. So we're back to the Oscars. So mm-hmm. Prince won an Oscar for his biggest selling album of his career. And the single off of that album, When Doves Cry, was released today in 1984. We did lose Prince, sadly, in 2016. He lost his battle with addiction at the age of 57. And that, that was sad. I looked that up because I was like, that would be weird if he was the same age as Billie Holiday, since we talked about two musical greats that we lost too young. So, age 57 for Prince. Hmm. We're going to stay in the 80s. A lot of cool stuff happened in the 80s. Rain, did Purple Rain get a Grammy, too? Uh, so, I, it was awarded, uh, I can't pronounce it, so I didn't include it, uh, posthumously, so oh, after yeah. death. It was uh, awarded Grammy and whatever. Yeah, I think it was awarded another award after he died as like a best all time soundtrack. Barbara Jean's going to be able to tell us all of the awards that Purple Rain won. (laughs) Just be prepared. She's writing it. I know she I can feel it. Well, I guess he's Grammy award winning. So either way. Yeah, he is a Grammy award winning artist. I don't know if Purple Rain won it in 1984. Or um, or if that was the one that he won posthumously. I don't know. It's a word I've never oh, been able to say. So that was 1984. Prince, When Doves Cry. We love Prince. All of the Purple Hearts from Barbara Jean. 1985. 
a little-known NBA star by the name of Michael Jordan received rookie of the rookie of the year. In his rookie season of 84 to 85, he averaged 28.2 points, 6.5 rebounds, 5.9 assists, and 2.4 steals over 82 games. His first season in the NBA was with the Chicago Bulls. He earned his very first of 14 All-Star Game appearances. Jordan is just one of 45 players in NBA history to receive that invite to the All-Star Game in his rookie year. So on this day, he was named Rookie of the Year in 1985. Jordan had already won a gold medal by this point. He was on the 84 Olympic basketball team, but nobody knew who he was. So it wasn't until he was on the 1992 Olympic team that it was dubbed the Dream Team. And that's when he took home his second gold medal. Were you a big Michael Jordan fan? Oh, yeah. I still think he's the GOAT. Yeah, absolutely. My brother was a huge Bulls fan, and it was almost exclusively because of Michael Jordan. So it was always on in our house. So by virtue of that, I was also a Bulls fan and loved Michael Jordan. And I so mean, Space Jam, you got all that stuff too. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking about I didn't watch Space Jam. What? But I don't know that Classic. I was the target demo for Space Jam when it came out. Wasn't he like wasn't he in like Liar Liar too, I feel like? Or something. He like wasn't that. in Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. Like cameo or something. He has a he, there's a cameo in another movie, but it wasn't that one. No. So there was all the hype about Dream Team in 1992. And can professionals play in the Olympics? And they these are paid players, so how are they justifying this? So there was like this big controversy about them all being on the 92 Dream Team. I guess they ended up doing it again. The third Dream Team, the third incarnation of the Dream Team, was going to be the 1996 Olympics, the ones in Atlanta. And that was close. I grew up in the Panhandle. Did you go to the '96 Olympics? No. So we we got tickets, and we got tickets for basketball because Dream Team, baby, we wanted to see Michael Jordan, and not only Michael Jordan, but there was Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, Scottie Pippen, John Stockton, David Robinson, all of these players that had been on the original '92 Wasn't Rodman on there too? Dream Team. Dennis Rodman was not on the 96 team. I think he was on the next Olympics, but Michael Jordan made his first like retirement announcement. (laughs) And so he didn't join the 96 dream team. He declined to play in the Atlanta Olympics and we were bummed out, but we still got to see, like I said, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone. We also got to see Grant Hill, Shaquille O'Neal and Scottie Pippen. But it was just before Dennis Rodman. And I guess Michael Jordan came back. He had he retired three times, all totaled. Wow. So I think this was right before his original. The original Brett Favre. Yeah, the original Brett Favre, John Brady. Um, so we missed him in the Olympics. If any of you guys got to see Michael Jordan play in... In the actual basketball arena, let me know, because I only ever got to see Michael Jordan play wrong ball. He had a short-lived baseball career, and (laughs) since we missed him at the Olympics, we went to go watch him play baseball. We got to see him play sports ball. It just, it was the wrong ball. But we still got to see him, and we were still happy. 
So if you guys got to see Michael Jordan play, let me know. Because I'm totally jealous. I would have wanted to see him play. We're still uh, in the let's 80s. Do a, let's do a turbo, because uh, we're almost out of time. Let's do we a turbo. Um, let's what was see. the other category? Oh, the other one was, is it legal? Is it legal? Let's, let's hit some, best, is it legal? The best ones. All right. Let's go through before. Sorry, I've no, got. Off, we, got we got a lot of content today. Rome banned low-cut dresses in the 16th century. And I know what low-cut is defined by in the 16th century because the fashion houses in Italy these days. Shin. (laughs) Massachusetts, on the other hand, outlawed wearing gold and silver buttons, lace and other finery by both men and women if their net worth was less than 200 pounds, which would mean you would have to have $8,000 today. Oh, you did that one too. Nice. <laughs> it's relevant right. that way. A fun one is that it was illegal to name a pig Napoleon in France mm. in deference to Emperor Napoleon I. George Orwell, an English author, heard that the French had outlawed the naming of pigs Napoleon. And so he decided that the pig dictator in his famous book Animal Farm could only be named Napoleon and that kept the uh the rivalry between the french and the english alive just a little bit longer that's a good book we can finish today with the poorly written law proving that english grammar is essential to save lives this was passed by absent-minded florida legislature in the 1960s the law made it illegal to carry firearms except and this is a quote except for the purpose of shooting vermin or policemen in the course of their duty. What? Grammar saves lives, everybody. <laughs> oh, I just got it. The wording was amended before any wow. law officer was harmed using this law as justification. So for a very brief time in the 60s, it was illegal to carry firearms unless you were shooting vermin or policemen in the course of duty in the state of florida always winning florida man (laughs) thank you everybody for being with us thank you for all the great comments it's been so fun seeing you guys comment and having you with me as i've taken over the mike davis show thank you clay and a thank you to Blake for helping to support me as I step into the, the host shoes for a few days. Mike Davis should be back with us tomorrow, and we look forward to that. So for all of you out there, have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. See ya.